peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Boasting is necessary. It is not profitable, but I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a human being is not allowed to speak. I will boast about this person, but not about myself, except for my weaknesses. For if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool, because I would be telling the truth. But I will spare you, so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in my flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Jarvis, and my wife and I are members here at Sojourn Midtown. It's a privilege to preach to you today. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we just heard a text read that promises that you perfect your power in our weaknesses. And we just heard our sister read that your grace is sufficient when we suffer and when we are weak. So Father, we pray this morning that you would prove this text to be true this morning through the preaching of your word, through the weakness of the preacher, and through the hearing of your word, by the hearing of your people who are weak, would you work in us, resurrecting, Christ-exalting, God-centered power. Because, Father, there are people this morning here who are suffering And their lives feel as though they're falling apart. And they need a word from you. So may your spirit help me to give it to them. And may he help us to receive it by faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The Christian life is filled with joy and pain. As an old song once said, with sunshine and with rain. The life of our Lord Jesus Christ perfectly personifies the Christian life as a life filled with much sorrowful rejoicing as he suffered pain on the cross and experienced joy in the resurrection. In 2018, perhaps many of us in this room have felt these two realities in the Christian life. Have you felt them? Joy and pain. Perhaps there are those in this room, for you, this year brought inexpressible joy. But for others, it brought inexpressible pain. For some, perhaps this year brought health. But for others, it brought sickness. Maybe for some of you, this year brought children and new births, adoptions. But for others, it brought infertility and the inability to adopt. For some, perhaps this year was a great year for your marriages. But for others, this year seemed as though your marriage was a living hell. For some, perhaps this year brought life, a renewed sense of satisfaction because you live. But for others, it brought death. I love preaching at Sojourn for many reasons. And one is I feel as though as the preacher, I can feel vulnerable. So if you'll allow me for a moment, may I be vulnerable with you, transparent? 2018 has been for me, in these last few months, an absolute nightmare. As I have experienced joy and pain. My sweet auntie who raised me like I was her very own child, she suffered a cardiac arrest, as you may remember me saying before here, in October. But through that, the Lord converted her. She gave her life to Jesus Christ. And although her life endured miraculously many profound sufferings, she died in December after suffering in one week a cardiac or, or heart attack, an emergency surgery, a seizure, and then a neurological problem that took her life. And to add insult to injury, I, as her beloved nephew, had to make the decision to take her off of life support. And to add further insult to, in to, to injury, she did not die immediately, but she died a slow death. As I and other family members, some who are here today, sat by her bedside and watched her slowly slip into eternity. Joy, she got saved. Pain, 
I feel inexpressible grief. So deep that I feel it in my bones. Because throughout my auntie's latter weeks, she suffered severely. But through it all, one thing that became clear to me was this. Hear this. God's grace is sufficient when we suffer. I can still see her when she converted. And I see you in her deepest moments of pain, crying out, Lord Jesus, have mercy. Brothers and sisters, in 2018, it's clear to me that the same grace that sustained you in this year will sustain you in the next year. The same grace that was sufficient when you suffered this year will be sufficient when you suffer next year, even when you don't feel like it, and even when you don't think it is. And 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, makes this very point plain. In this letter, Paul, quick word about background here, talks much about the sufficiency of God's grace in suffering. And one thing Paul is doing in this letter is he is seeking to defend his apostolic gospel, his gospel against these opponents whom he calls super apostles. And one thing these super opponents say about Paul is he's not a real apostle because he suffers too much. And Paul says, I am a real apostle because I suffer so much because of the gospel. When you come to chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, he tells us something that's very profound. That God's grace is sufficient when we suffer. Notice, first of all, though, in verses 6 and 7, he gives us a reason why he suffers. We don't always know the reasons why we suffer, do we? I don't know the reasons why my auntie had to die a horrible death. But Paul gives us some reasons why he suffered. He says to keep him from exalting himself. Look at verse 6 and verse 7. I'm reading from the ESV. He says in verse 6, Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So, hear this word, verse 7. To keep me from exalting myself or from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. That's a powerful word. In chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, Paul discusses the supernatural experiences and the revelations that God gave him. And evidently, Paul experienced these on numerous occasions. In addition to this great revelation he received in Acts chapter 9, remember that story in Acts 9 when Jesus Christ spoke to Paul from heaven and Paul's life was literally transformed? In addition to that revelation, 
God evidently spoke to Paul on numerous occasions. And in fact, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, Paul says he was caught up into paradise to see these surpassing great revelations. In verses 1 through 5, it's not exactly clear that Paul is talking about himself when he says he knows a man, whether in the body he does not know or out of the body he does not know, but he is talking about himself. Because he connects these revelations he received in verses 1 through 5 with his weaknesses in verses 6 through 10. I'm making sense this morning. Are you with me? And so he says he wants to boast in these revelations. In other words, Paul wants to drop his receipts. And he can drop his receipts. He got revelations. You got revelations? He doesn't need recommendations. He got revelations, right? He doesn't need book endorsements. He's got Jesus calling him up into the third heaven and showing him things he can't even explain in words. So he wants to boast. But he says he chooses to restrain himself from boasting. In verses 1 and 5, and 6 and 9, he mentions boasting at least four times. To boast simply means to praise, to exalt in something. I boasted yesterday when UK beat U of L. <laughs> Paul's exalting these revelations. In 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Verses 7 through 33, Paul boasts in his ministry. This idea of praise or boasting was prominent in Paul's world. This is not unique to our culture. Appealing to Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 22 through 23, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17 about boasting. Listen to what he says. He says that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. But the one who brags, brag upon the Lord. Hear this word, brothers and sisters. God wants our boasting to be in God, doesn't he? And in his Christ. God hates an arrogant, man-centered, self-serving boast in ourselves. He hates it. God is a God who wants all of his glory for our good. He wants his creatures not to exalt in who they are apart from God, but who they are in Christ. He wants us to make God big and ourselves small in the most healthy sense of the expression. As the scriptures say, there is no room for boasting in ourselves before God, who is the creator, sustainer, and judge of all things. There is no holy one like the Lord. There is no one besides him. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from our mouths. For the Lord our God is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. That's our God. Amen? Boasting in God's work 
in and for his people through Christ is the only acceptable boast. But that's not what Paul's opponents are saying. They're boasting in their strength and they are shaming Paul because of his weaknesses. Generally speaking, in Paul's world, nobody, generally speaking, celebrated or boasted in their weaknesses. They boasted in their strength or in their honor. In fact, in Paul's world, there was even a certain foolishness that came to those who even appeared to be weak. One author who lived contemporarily with Paul said that people should avoid suffering, avoid boasting in it, avoid contempt, avoid boasting in it. 2 Corinthians, you read chapters 11 and 12, you find Paul arguing that he is in Christ because he is weak. So here's a practical word from the Lord this morning. May our, may our boast, may our boast be in Christ. Amen? May we brag on what Jesus has done. May our boast be, Galatians 6, in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. May our boast be not in our accomplishments, but what God has done in us through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul is not finished yet in these verses. In verse 6, notice verse 6 again. I'm going to paraphrase it. He says, look, I want to boast. <laughs> Paul is human, right? He wants to drop his receipts. And he can drop his receipts. Why do you think he drops the apostolic card in chapter 1? He has the right to tell these super apostles that he has seen some stuff that they have not seen, but he chooses not to. Here's why, verse 6, because he does not want to speak about himself beyond anything that anyone might see or hear from him or in him. In other words, he doesn't want to embellish. And embellishment is always a danger of self-boasting, right? We do this all the time. <laughs> We embellish how many points we averaged when we were in high school. We embellish about the size of the fish we caught. I tell my son, when I was your age, I walked to school with no shoes on in the snow to get an education. You should take advantage of your education. But that's not true. That's embellishing, right? Arrogant people hear this. And I'm preaching to myself. I don't have this figured out. Arrogant people one of which I am, we do not minimize ourselves, we maximize ourselves, don't we? We want ourselves to seem stronger than we are on Twitter, <laughs> on social media. Who on social media puts their weaknesses as their profile, right? And Paul says, I don't want to do that. Even though I have the right to do that, I don't want to do that. I'm going to restrain myself because I don't want to say more than is true about myself. But he needs a little help to do that, doesn't he? So in verse 7, notice what he then says. He says, so <laughs> to keep me from exalting myself or becoming conceited, 
Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Did you hear that? The great apostle Paul is great because of Christ. And he says, in order to keep me from exalting in the revelations that I received, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Now, just to be clear, the text does not say that God gave him the thorn, does it? But I think we can say God gave him the thorn because he asked Jesus to take it away. And if you read the whole letter of 2 Corinthians, you will see that 2 Corinthians is God-centered, is focused on God and Christ and what God has done through Paul in Christ. You understand what I'm saying? So the thorn that was given to Paul was given to Paul by God, and Paul was the recipient of that thorn. Notice the second thing about this text. He says, a thorn in the flesh that was given to him. Notice what he calls it. He calls it a messenger of the devil. What? All right, my theology is going to come out now. You ready for this? The devil is God's devil. God will use the devil any means he deems necessary to accomplish his purposes for his people. The devil is God's devil. And when suffering comes into our lives, God uses means, and God is never evil, and he is never unjust, even though he might use means that appear to be evil. Does that make sense? The devil is evil. And God is using the devil, a messenger of the devil, to torment Paul. Well, here's the question. What's Paul's thorn in the flesh? And what's this messenger of the devil? You know what it is? It is all forms of suffering that Paul experienced because he preached the gospel. That's what it is. In other words, he personifies, puts human attributes or qualities on the thorn by calling it a messenger of the devil. And in the text he says, the messenger of the devil is suffering for the gospel. Notice, for example, he says in verse... Nine, he refers to his weaknesses. You see that in verse nine? Okay, a little call and response. Do you see that in verse nine? And then in verse 10, he says this, I, for the sake of Christ, I am content, watch this, with weaknesses. What weaknesses? Here they are, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. You read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, toward the end, he lays out a litany of sufferings he experienced because of the gospel. Homelessness, anxiety, sleepless nights, dangers in the waters. He was shipwrecked, in other words. His messenger of the devil is this. It is suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says God gave it to him in order, notice verse 7, to keep him from exalting himself. Notice that. One helpful recipe for humility is God-giving, Christ-exalting pain. And that's what God did. 
He wants to boast in the revelations, which will take away the attention from Christ. But rather, God says, here's some suffering to make the attention focused on Christ. Notice it again in verse 7. Let's wear out verse 7. Can we? Can we wear it out? Verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of my strength. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Brothers and sisters, understand this. In order to keep us from praising ourselves, from boasting in ourselves, from deviating from the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God might choose to use suffering. Not because he's evil, not because he's some bad old man sitting up in heaven waiting for us to fail, but because he loves us. Because suffering, are you with me still? Are you with me still? Suffering that comes through the loving hand of our Heavenly Father is a means by which He weakens us to strengthen us so that we would in turn exalt in His Son, Jesus Christ. Because when God works through shiny vessels and shiny pots, the glory is on the shiny vessels and shiny pots. But when he works through clay vessels and clay pots that are falling apart and are broken, the glory of God is exalted to be upon Jesus Christ, right? And so Paul says God did this to keep me from exalting myself. Here's the issue. If Paul exalted in the revelations, he would not be exalting in the gospel. The reason he suffers was for the gospel, but if he stops suffering for the gospel, there's no more evidence that he preaches the gospel, you see. There's only evidence that he's had these surpassing great revelations, which only benefit Paul and those to whom he shares them. But suffering benefits everybody. You know why? Because we don't all get revelations, but we all suffer for the gospel. And notice that, by the way, he's not suffering in verses 7 and 8 and 9 because he did something wrong. He's suffering because he did something right, right? He's insulted not because what people are saying is true. He's being insulted because he preaches the true gospel, the one and only gospel. He's being persecuted because he preaches the one and only gospel. He's suffering shipwreck because he preaches the one and only gospel. He suffers homelessness because he preaches the one and only gospel. But notice something here in verse 7. This is even more fascinating to me. He says he suffers in verse 7. In verse 8, he says he asked Jesus to help him. Notice that in verse 8? I love this verse. This verse has been very comforting to me these last few weeks. In verse 8, he says, I pleaded three times with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Here's what he's saying. This pain was so unbearable because sometimes God does give you things you cannot bear regardless of what that bumper sticker might say.
And he cries out to Jesus in his pain. And he says, Jesus, please make these insults stop. Please make these slanders stop. Please make these persecutions stop. Please, I don't want to be homeless anymore. I don't want to suffer anymore. I don't want to be slandered anymore. I don't want to be anxious anymore. And Jesus said, no. Right? He says, my grace, verse 9, is sufficient for you. Now hear this. Y'all still with me? Now hear this. Jesus is not saying, Paul, just suck it up. I hate that statement. He's not just saying, just suck it up. He's not saying, put your big boy pants on. He's not saying that. Amen. He's not being apathetic toward Paul's suffering. He's actually answering Paul's prayer. Paul's saying, help me, Jesus, by taking it away. Paul says, I'm going to help you, or Jesus says, I'm going to help you by giving you some grace. He means, Paul, in your suffering, I'm going to give you the grace that will enable you to endure your suffering for Christ while you suffer for Christ. You understand that? Let me apply it this way. Jarvis, I'm going to give you some grace as you are watching your auntie die so that you will endure that pain and rejoice in her salvation. You follow me? He says, I'm going to give you amazing grace, Christ-exalting grace, sustaining grace, Paul, so that you will endure your pain as you suffer your pain for Christ. Say a word about grace. I could spend a year talking about grace, but I won't. Some of y'all need to relearn grace again. Grace is transformative. He's not telling Paul to suck it up because he tells Paul his grace is sufficient, which means this. God has done something in Paul. He's resurrected his dead heart. He's given him the gift of grace, which transforms Paul's life. And watch this. The grace that God gave to Paul enables Paul to respond with the life of trust in God for what he's done for Paul in Christ. And that same grace that he gave Paul that transforms his life is the same grace in you right now, if you know Jesus, right? Let me give you some evidence of that. Paul says, help me, Jesus, verse 8. Jesus says, I will. I'm going to give you some grace, verse 9. And here's why. My power is made perfect in weakness. It's resurrecting power there, right? Feel that this morning. You have living in your soul right now, Christ exalting, resurrecting people from the dead power. The same power that raised Jesus Christ up from the dead on that third day after he suffered is the same power that raised you from the dead and lives in your heart right now. It's the same power that's going to resurrect my auntie from the dead when Jesus returns, right? That's what you have, Paul. And that's what we have, Midtown, right? We don't need Jack Daniels to feel this power. Amen. We don't need E&J, Code 45, or Hennessy, 
or Nickelback. You're like, how do you know all this stuff? Because I was once lost, but now I'm found, right? And this is not a sermon about whether we should drink or not. This is a sermon about God's power. Drinking can't solve your problems, and money can't solve your problems. But the power of God perfected in your life through the resurrected Jesus can help you endure your problems this year and next year. Therefore, Jesus says, Paul, that's what I'm going to give to you. My grace is sufficient. And it's brought to be, notice verse 9, it's brought to be fully mature in your weaknesses. Now, notice the transformative nature of the grace. Paul, therefore, does what? Verse 9, he says, therefore, I will boast in my weaknesses. Look at that. The reason why Paul responds like this is because of the sustaining grace that God gave him. This is not something you can do naturally. If you're suffering today, and when you suffer in the new year, you need, you need a lot of things. But one thing you need above all is God's resurrecting power. If you want to hold on to Jesus. And Paul says, I'll boast in my weaknesses. Now, he does not mean he boasts because he is weak. He means he boasts in the fact that God's grace is sufficient in his weaknesses, Right? Who wakes up and says, I'm happy because I'm hurting? That's one reason, by the way. One, I don't think Christians know how to grieve well quite often. We have two extremes. We either grieve as though we don't have hope, or we act like we don't have pain when we have pain. I have pain running through my bones right now. In fact, in between this service and the first service, I received an email from the mortician that gave me my auntie's death certificate that reminded me of the pain of her death, but also of the joy of her resurrection. And we need to understand as Christians how to do both well. That's one reason why I love this church. We're not perfect, right? Praise God. But we know how to mourn well, I think, and to mourn with joy, don't we? Don't we? I'll answer that question. Yeah, we do. So, so if you are hurting this morning, if you're a visitor and you're hurting, come and join us, right? And be with a bunch of people who sorrowfully rejoices in what God has done for us in Christ. He's not boasting because he's weak. And in fact, I don't want weakness, frankly. I want strength. I want comfort. But the Christian life is joy and pain. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 4, puts it this way as it relates to Christ. For he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with, with you, we all will live with him by the power of God. Just as Christ suffered and rejoiced, cross and resurrection, Christians suffer and rejoice. That tension, right? So here's a question for you. Have you asked God to alleviate some suffering in your life to which he's responded by saying, no. I would encourage you to keep asking Jesus to take your pain away. I prayed for God to heal my auntie right until she died. And then when it became apparent to me that he was not going to heal her, I asked Jesus to take her quietly and quickly to be with him. 
But when he delayed taking her, I continue to plead with Jesus to please take her to be with him if he chooses not to heal her. So if you're suffering this morning and you're asking Jesus to take away your pain, keep asking Jesus to take away your pain and ask him to give you sustaining grace as you endure that suffering in this world. Second, maybe this morning you have been given a death sentence. Maybe you have cancer. Or maybe in 2019, you'll be given some horrible news. Maybe you're overwhelmed by the fact that the blessing, the blessing of singleness could also be a source of loneliness. Singleness is a gift, isn't it? You can also be very lonely. And married people are lonely too. <laughs> the, singleness pro or the loneliness problem doesn't stop when you're married. So maybe you're lonely this morning. The word of God, I think, is, is to rest upon God's comfort and grace. These things are thorns that God might use to drive you to himself. Let me say a word of clarification here, and then I'll give you another point and give you some practical application. A couple of clarifications here. Number one, to rest in the sufficiency of God's grace does not mean you should minimize your suffering or the suffering of anyone else, right? And hear this point very clearly. Although God will use suffering, he cares about justice. He does not want, hear this, he does not want us to rejoice in anybody's suffering, right? He wants his people to care to care about those who are marginalized, to care about justice, and to pursue it. We ought not to say, we ought not to say, because God uses suffering to increase his grace, therefore, we should just let people suffer. That's called, in a theological context, stupid. <laughs> Furthermore, he's neither saying, hear this, he's neither saying we should just preach the gospel to those who suffer. He's not saying just preach the gospel. We preach the gospel and we live the gospel and we show the gospel and we help people to show that we believe the gospel and we personify the gospel like Jesus did. We care about the orphan and the widow, right? We care about the poor and those who are oppressed and those who are real victims in society. We pursue those people with love and with joy and we seek to help them alleviate their pain and to take it away when we're able to hear that. But my point is, as we do all of that, we have to be pointing people toward the grace of the gospel, right? And asking God to sustain them in their suffering. Because even though we might see victory in this life from suffering, we ultimately will die and face the enemy of death, right? So therefore, the word of God, I think, is, is rest in the sufficiency of God's grace as we help people in their pain. One final thought here from verse 10, and then I'll give you some practical application and then we'll conclude. Notice in verse 10, Paul says, or verse 9 rather, the second part there, he says, he will boast more gladly in his weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon him, which I think he, by which he means, 
is that to exalt in Christ, in his sufferings for Christ, proves that the power of Christ is in Paul. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Let me say it this way. The evidence that Paul has to demonstrate that Christ's resurrecting power is in him is the endurance of his sufferings for Christ. In other words, he got revelations. Those are receipts. But he also, pardon the bad grammar, he got grace too, right? And evidence of that amazing grace is he's enduring his suffering for Christ. The very thing that causes him to suffer, namely the gospel, is the means by which he endures his suffering in the power of the Spirit, namely the gospel. That's the point. And so he says, therefore in verse 10, he's content with his weaknesses. One translation, I think I heard it read, said he takes pleasure in his weaknesses. I don't think he means, I'm happy that I'm hurting. I think he means he's satisfied in God's promise about his grace. You follow me? So in conclusion, I'll give you some quick applications. Number one, if you're suffering today, brothers and sisters, do not turn away from the gospel. But run to Jesus Christ. Run to your community group. Run to your elders. Run to this church. Don't run to E&J, Jack Daniels, your Nickelback. Those things aren't going to solve your problems, right? Run to Christ. Second, if you're suffering today, don't suffer in silence. Pursue help. Are you suffering today? Pursue help. There are people in this body eager to show God's grace to you by helping you in your pain. Don't suffer in silence. If you're being abused or marginalized, if you're being mistreated or discriminated against, if you're suffering because of finances or whatever, seek people out who can help you and who can love you well in the gospel and use their privileges and power as means by which to help you. Don't suffer in silence. Finally, here's the reason. Because God's grace is sufficient. Do you believe that? Do, do you believe that? That's not a rhetorical question. Do you believe that? The same grace that brought you this far is the same grace that will carry you in 2019. So when, notice I say when, when you suffer in 2019, Remind yourself that God's grace is sufficient, even though you don't think it is, and even though everything in your bones and in your life will tell you that it's not. It is sufficient. And here's your reminder that it is. It's the kind of grace that resurrected Jesus from the dead. Amen. Let's pray.